we are not to be double-minded and we are to be committed to one and only one master. We cannot serve God and money, for we are bound to love one and hate the other or to be devoted to one and despise the other, as our Lord has said. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Thank you for being there. Thank you for listening to our messages and for the words of encouragement that um, we keep on sending to us. May God bless you ever so much. So here we are uh, once again. Um, we, and we are continuing uh, in our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Today we are going to read from Matthew chapter 6 verses 22 to 24 and it's a continuation of the last message uh, about treasures in heaven, uh, our treasures um, on, on earth. And that subject matter uh, will continue until the end of Matthew chapter 6. So um, let us pray. Our dear loving Father, we thank you for this new day. It's a beautiful day, full of your glory. We thank you for our lives, and we thank you most of all for the gift of life in Christ Jesus. As your disciples, we need to constantly come back to you to seek wisdom, to seek strength, to, to seek power for witnessing to the ends of the others you commissioned us to do. And so here we are once again, Lord, asking you to be with us, even as we communicate this message this morning to your people and to the people of the world, uh, praying that someone somewhere will hear this message and they will put their faith and trust in you as Lord and Savior. And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our loving Savior. Amen. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 to 24, reads as follows. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. Now, Christian discipleship involves the whole of a human personality. I'm saying these words, remembering that Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. 
at the beginning of his public ministry. But uh, the, the Gospels also mentioned there was a crowd. And also, I suppose then Jesus was addressing his disciples, but um, within the hearing of a crowd. But my conviction is this. This message is uh, of value to those who are who have who fit the description of the Christian disciple that Jesus opened this discussion with in the Beatitudes. Those who hunger after his righteousness, those who are meek, those who are peacemakers, those who are merciful, those who um, you know, um, um, can describe as people who have surrendered their lives to God and have committed their whole life to serving both God and humankind. And so Jesus is therefore saying to this kind of people, uh, the words we have just read uh, from, 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 the, from our reading this morning, and so I'm saying that Christian discipleship involves the whole of our human personality. Jesus made that very clear when he called his first disciples. Christian discipleship involves our physical, our emotional, our psychological, as well as our spiritual being. This is what Jesus demands of us, his disciples, and nothing less. Accordingly, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Our mind is to be renewed. Um, these, are these are quotations from, uh, from the scriptures. The, the first um, about loving God and, and, and neighbor is... Um, Mark 12, 30, our, our mind is to be renewed, Romans 12, 2. And our emotions are to be purified, Ephesians 4, 26. Our conscience must be kept clear, Acts 24, 16. And our will surrendered to God's will, Matthew 6, 10. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Discipleship entails committing our whole being to God. Now, Jesus is talking about the eye as light. And so that's what our reading uh, says, that uh, Jesus compares the human eye to a lamp that sheds its light into the whole body. This is an obvious fact. We cannot really argue with it. It is true that almost everything the body does is dependent on our ability to see. We need to see in order to walk without hitting, um, without hitting the, um, the wall or, or falling into some ditch. We need to see in order to run. 
we need to see in order to recognize the people we are talking to. We need to see in order to ride a bicycle, play football, cross the road, cook, watch a game, and no other things. But Jesus is talking about a spiritual vision, not physical. He is not talking about our physical eyes or vision, but he's talking about our spiritual vision, for we do have a spiritual vision. What it means is that what is true of physical vision is also applicable to spiritual vision. Normally, we tend to see the world through the lenses of our culture or our civilization. Spiritual vision is our capacity to see the world from God's point of view and to align our lives in accordance with God's revealed purposes. We, Jesus taught us to pray, for instance, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And in our scripture this morning, Jesus is warning, he's warning us that uh, our spiritual vision can actually, it can easily be lost when we lose our focus on God's will and his kingdom and turn to other things such as money, leisure, our daily work, and, and, and our other involvement uh, in this world. A good eye is one that is fixed on God, and a bad eye is one that has lost its focus on God and is fixed on self-serving interests. A bad eye is caused by nothing else but sin in our lives. And sin, as we know, is the work of Satan who masquerades as an angel of light. Therefore, in Hebrews 12, 2, we are told to get rid of all sin and other distractions that hinder our spiritual vision and instead to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And um, at, at this point, I want us to look at two biblical examples of what I'm talking about. One from the Old Testament, uh, the other from the New Testament. And our Old, Old Testament example is the example of uh, Adam and Eve. Now, until Satan came into the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were as innocent as newborn babies and they had no experience outside of God. God was their everything, and in him they were well satisfied. They were totally content to eat the fruit that God said they could eat. And they had absolutely no desire, no interest in the forbidden truth, in the forbidden, forbidden fruit. And their innocent explanation was this, God said so. Just like a little baby. Mama said so. Papa said so. With Adam and Eve, it's God said so, and that was enough for them. Their eyes of faith were perfect at that time, and their vision of God was perfectly clear. Their will was well aligned with God's will. Well, then Satan came along. 
and corrupted their focus by casting doubt in their mind on God's honesty. Eve's faith was first shaken, and suddenly the, the forbidden fruit began to look attractive and good for food and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Then she ate the fruit, and she must have liked it, because then she went and she gave it a piece uh, to, to, to Adam, and he also ate. Sin had already entered their lives, and it ruined their relationship with God. They were no longer fit to see God or to live with him as God had planned. The second example is the example of Judas, the disciple, the apostle. And uh, we know that G uh, Judas was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ and one of the 12, uh, one of the first 12 apostles. Today, the name Judas is synonymous with betrayal, greed, corruption, and false friendship, among other things. Judas was among those who had Jesus teaching uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. The, 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 he had Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God and what it takes to enter into that kingdom. But then Satan entered into Judas, and, and according to Luke, you know, I mean, I mean, according to Luke, Satan entered into, G, into Judas, and Jesus, and Judas betrayed Jesus to his enemies in exchange for a mere 30 pieces of silver. Judas died a most miserable death. Question. Was it worth it? That a pieces of silver? Was it worth it? Just that one fruit to separate us from God forever? And to bring down the whole, I mean, humanity into bondage to sin? Was it worth it, Adam and Eve? Was it worth it, Judas? They scariot. So these two examples represent what Jesus means by our light, our light becoming darkness. Adam and Eve had God all to themselves, and they lost everything over a single fruit. Judas was a group treasurer. That means he was trusted, at least at the beginning. And um, in, in that office, I suppose he was always in close contact with Jesus. Heaven's gate was so near. But he lost it all. He lost it all for 30 pieces of silver. So, verse 24, Jesus is saying, you cannot serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Once our Lord Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devo be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, some who hold two jobs or even more may want to argue with this um, I mean, statement of fact 
But let me quickly um, say, therefore, that Jesus is not talking about the, I mean, a contractual relationship between an employer and an employee. Jesus is actually talking about the relationship between a slave master and a slave. A slave has no rights whatsoever under the law. Or, you know, slaves, we talk about slaves in, in the past because we assume slavery actually did and actually has not. But anyway, slaves have no right. Jesus, I mean, under the law, the, the, I mean, they, they, um, they belong to the owner. The master actually buys or used to buy slaves in the marketplace. The way we buy a goat for slaughter. The goat has no right of choice. Or we'd buy a dress, you know, when to put it on, whether to put it on or not. Or what to do with it is up to you. After all, you purchased it. And so it was between a master and a slave. Now think about the children of Israel in Egypt. They were so oppressed, so exploited, so harassed, so hated, that they cried out to God because of the, the weight of their oppression. That's what slavery is all about. Or closer home, Let's think about the, 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 the cross, uh, Atlantic uh, slave trade and slavery in the, in the colonies. I mean, to read the stories, the accounts of what happened there, even the transportation of slaves from you know, West Africa, you know, in, 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 in small ships overcrowded with no, 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 no facilities in very unhygienic circumstances. To read those stories really to make one sick. So slavery is, is, is not, I mean, it's not, it's not something easy at all. It is not something that any human being should suffer whatsoever. So slaves were the, 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 the property of their master. He owned them for life. He could do whatever he wanted with them. Some slave master actually, some slave masters actually worked their slaves to death, or even beat them to death, and boasted about it. But whatever the circumstances, a slave could serve only one master, never two. In the same manner, the Bible makes it clear that Christians, Christian discipleship is a life, lifetime commitment to one master, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this sense, Christians are slaves to Christ and are bound to him throughout eternity. Apostle Paul says uh, as much, uh, really, in, in Romans uh, 6, which I'll quickly read, verses 15 to 23. Uh, the, the, the title there is Slaves, Slaves to righteousness. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, 
which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural uh, selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to every increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Amen? That is, I believe, makes things clear so I don't have to add anything there. But then Jesus is also concerned about the question of double-mindedness trying to serve two masters. You know the truth that you can only serve one master, the Lord Jesus Christ as a believer, but that does not stop people becoming double-minded for one reason or the other. Normally, we see life through the lenses of our cultural or social um, conditioning. The Greeks and Romans sought to conquer the world and to convert people from other cultures to their own culture or to their own civilization. The European empires of a past generation, two, three centuries ago, also tried to do the same. Well, Jesus commissioned us, his followers, to preach the gospel of his kingdom to the ends of the earth and to convert the people of all nations to the culture of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of peace, love, justice, and righteousness. For this reason, we are ourselves to be thoroughly converted to the heavenly culture and, uh, and to strictly live by its principles and practices. We are not to be double-minded and we are to be committed to one and only one master. We cannot serve God and money for we are bound to love one and hate the other or to be devoted to one and despise the other as our Lord has said. Jesus is the light of the world. But he also says that his followers are to be the light of the world. The Bible says God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Dear friends, we are to always walk in the sunshine of love. Love of God and love of our neighbor. Having said that, what is the conclusion then? How do we respond? Now, Jesus is talking about our conscience. He's talking about our hearts, our, the inner man, uh, as they call it in the Bible. 
This is the light that God has given to mankind for regulating his normal, his moral conduct. This is the light that God has given to mankind for regulating his moral conduct. Apostle Peter says that water baptism is not about removing dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience towards God. 1 Peter 3, 2, 1. Therefore, says Jesus, if our conscience becomes corrupt, in other words, if our, the, our, the, the light inside of us becomes corrupt, corrupt, and I'm saying this is actually our conscience. If our conscience becomes corrupt, it means we have nothing to regulate our moral conduct. In that case, what will be the state of our appetites, our desires, and our passions, which are naturally blind, I mean blind and evil since the days of Adam. It means our moral senses, our moral sense is lost, and we are incapable of distinguishing right from wrong. Ultimately, we have two choices, my friends. Either treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. Darkness or light. Right or wrong, good or evil, life or death, God or earthly treasure. My dear and very good friends, as believers in Christ, we have only one master period. And this is the only one and only master we, we should answer to. We cannot have two masters. Nor can we sit on the fence. So then, who shall we serve? Who is your master? Who is my master? That is the question. What is my answer? What is your answer? I thank you for hearing. Let's go and pray. Let's go through these scriptures once more. And let us Make one definite choice. Follow Jesus and you will live. Choose something else and you will perish. Thank you for hearing. Let us pray. Our gracious and everlasting Father, you have spoken in very clear and definite terms and we have heard and we have understood. And if there is anything we have not understood, the Holy Spirit will guide us. If we seek him, if we go to him in prayer. The further reading of your Bible will also give clarity to any questions that may be lingering in the minds of our hearers. I pray, O oh Lord, my God, that in this world that is becoming more and more corrupt just as it, was, as it was predicted a long time ago. That we may stand up indeed to be that light. That light that shines in the whole body, that shines in our families, in our communities, in our nations and the whole world. For you yourself said we are the light of the world. May your church stand up and raise high your royal banner that it may not suffer loss. 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.